We continue this morning in the sermon series through the book of Acts, picking up today where we left off last Lord's Day in chapter 4. This is in the midst of the account of Peter and John having healed a lame man, a man lame from birth in the temple precincts and then proclaiming the gospel which resulted in their having been arrested by the temple guard and held in custody by the chief priests and the Sanhedrin before whom they will appear on trial in this passage. So by way of review, we will begin at chapter 4, verse 1. And this morning, we will read through verse 22. Let us ask the Lord whose Holy Spirit breathed out this word for us and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture, inspired, infallible, and inerrant, now to breathe upon us afresh that we might receive it in true faith as the Word of God. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for loving us with such great love that You would send Your only Son into the world to be our Savior and our King. In His name we pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us afresh, to open our minds spiritually, to open our hearts, grant us ears to hear the Word through faith, and grant us souls to believe and to cleave to Jesus Christ, our only Savior. And Lord, to the glory of your name, amen. Acts chapter 4, this is the word of God. It is written. As they were speaking to the people, that is, the apostles Peter and John, preaching the gospel, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, literally the word there is saved, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And now unto him who loves us, who, free, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. At a pitiful point in this passage, about midway, there is a key verse which proclaims the uniqueness, the one and only-ness of Jesus Christ, and therefore salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That statement is central to the Christian faith, and that statement is in various ways reiterated throughout the New Testament over and over and over again. It is a biblical truth upon which we must firmly take our stand just as the apostles Peter and John firmly took their stand in the face of persecution. In verses 1 through 3, Luke tells us that the apostles Peter and John were arrested because the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead was the proclamation that God had raised Jesus from the dead as the 
first fruits, and therefore the proof and the guarantee of the resurrection of the dead at the end of history. And having raised Jesus from the dead, his resurrection revealed him to be the Son of God in power, the true Messiah, Savior of Israel, the Lord of the resurrection life, and the King of the new creation, by whom God would judge the world in righteousness on the last day. And that gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again threatened the authority the authority of the Jewish high priest and the whole priesthood over the temple, the authority of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, over Jewish society, and the Sadducees, that politically positioned, privileged group of Jewish elite who in collusion with Rome protected their own power and prosperity. And ultimately, this gospel of Jesus Christ, as we shall later see in the book of Acts, ultimately challenged the authority of the Roman Empire over the world. And the, the same remains true today. The gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, risen, ascended into heaven, and coming again in glory is by its very nature controversial because it confronts and it condemns every authority and power and person which opposes the lordship of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims not only that Christ was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification, but also that to Him has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, to Him, every human being and every earthly and spiritual power is accountable because there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's all about authority and power. And we see the issue of authority and power in the way in which the Jewish leaders interrogated Peter and John. They asked them, by what power or by what name did you do this? Meaning, the healing of the lame man in the temple precincts. But they weren't curious they weren't interested in an answer which, which might have been very helpful to other people. Oh, no. This question, by what power, by what name, 
was really an accusation. More along the lines of, what business did you have performing a miracle in the temple precincts over which we have control? And then proclaiming a false Messiah to stir up the people. Who gave you such permission to take such action in our temple? Whom do you represent? By what name did you do this? Interesting. By what name? The Jewish people understood the significance of a name. The name, whether of a human king or a supposed deity. The name represents the very being, the very personhood, the power, authority, and glory of that man or supposed God. But with, re- with reference to the true God, the name of God represents God himself. You know, the Psalms are full of expressions such as, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Throughout the Psalms, we are called to give thanks to his holy name. Well, that simply means we give praise and thanks to God himself. And therefore, the third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because to dishonor God's name is to dishonor God himself. So it was that Peter said to the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then Peter declared to the people, referring to Jesus, his name, my faith in his name has made this man strong. Now, it's, it's not that the name of Jesus has magical or miraculous power in and of itself. Peter was simply saying that Jesus Christ himself, risen from the dead, healed the man. That's the point. And then in response to this interrogation by the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, Peter said, rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, literally there in verse 9, saved, that's the word, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, That's the point. By him, this man is standing before you well. You see, Peter told them that Jesus Christ healed, literally saved, this lame man. Again, the word healed in verse 9 is rooted in the Greek word for salvation because physical healing is a physical 
salvation. But the physical salvation of that lame man, the restoration of his body in this world, was but a sign and a foreshadowing of the ultimate, perfect healing of body and soul, which will come on the last day, the day of resurrection, when the bodies of believers in Christ are raised from the dead for everlasting life in the world to come. Peter was telling the high priest of Israel, the members of the temple priesthood, and the political ruling class of Israel, that they needed to be saved. To have their sins forgiven. That they needed, that they must be saved or else. By the name of the man whom they had crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, Peter's point was that there is no other name under heaven because Jesus' name is the name that is above every name in the highest of the heavens. There is no other name under heaven given among men because Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And by his blood, he ransomed for God men from every tribe and language and people and nation. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, because it was Jesus Christ himself, the eternal Son of God, who spoke through the prophet Isaiah, saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh. That is my name. There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. There in front of the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the temple priesthood, the most powerful men in Israel, Peter declared, that Jesus was and is Yahweh incarnate. 
To call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to call upon Yahweh, the name of the one and only true and living God, the ruler of heaven and earth. And in doing so, the Apostle Peter was confronting the most powerful men in Israel with the reality of their sin and offering to them their only Savior, Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And that is exactly what the Word of God is doing right now. Confronting you with the reality of your sin and offering to you the only Savior, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now imagine it. Peter and John were in a very intimidating, very dangerous situation. They were standing before the most powerful and politically connected men in Jerusalem. These were the very men. These were the very men who had persuaded Pilate to crucify Jesus. What was about to happen to Peter and John? But without flinching, Peter and John spoke truth to power. Quoting the prophecy in Psalm 118, verse 22, and applying it to those Jewish leaders. Listen to what Peter said. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, during the last week of his earthly ministry, what we call the Passion Week, Jesus himself, in confrontation with the chief priests and elders of his Israel, had quoted this very verse, Psalm 118, 22, referring to them as the builders who were rejecting him, the cornerstone of the true temple, that is, the true Israel. And now Peter was confronting them with the fact that they, the leaders of Israel, the builders, had rejected and crucified the true Messiah whom God has raised from the dead. And they now had to come to terms with the fact that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The promise comes to us as well. On the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted the prophet Joel saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
How shall we neglect so great a salvation? To whom shall we turn? The, the question is, who is your authority? Who is the authority in your life? Turn away from your sins. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from the folly of thinking that you do not need to be saved. That you do not need a Savior. Turn away from the foolishness of thinking that you can be your own Lord and Savior. Turn away from the foolishness, the absolute foolishness of our day which supposes that anybody can have anyone as their Savior just because they decide to do so. No. Come in faith, surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. For there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was Peter's message to the Jewish authorities, and that is the Word of God to us today. And in that moment, verse 13 says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Well, that word boldness can also be accurately translated confidence. The New International Version translates it as courage. But where did Peter get his boldness, confidence, courage in the face of these most powerful men? Verse 8 says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to his aid at just the right time in just the right way to give him just the right words. This is exactly what Jesus had promised. During the week before his crucifixion, Jesus had had a private conversation with Peter and John and James and Andrew, in which he had said to them, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils. When they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. That was exactly Peter's experience in this moment. The Holy Spirit gave Peter boldness of speech, but what did that boldness look like? Please notice, Christian boldness, Holy Spirit boldness, is not brashness, it's not braggadociousness, it's not obnoxiousness, it's not human bravado, it's not expressed in human anger. We should not imagine Peter as being red in the face, yelling at the Jewish authorities as if to tell them off. To the contrary, in fact, notice that Peter addresses them respectfully, saying, rulers of the people, and elders. His bold speech is very controlled, very deliberate, very straightforward, very rational, not sarcastic, not condescending, not belligerent, not combative. He just speaks the truth plainly, straightforwardly, confidently. Now, that's something to remember and to apply to ourselves whenever we find ourselves in a controversial situation with an unbeliever, or if we ever find ourselves being interrogated by the authorities or being slandered 
and spoken ill of by those who want to malign Christians? How do we obtain such calm, self-controlled boldness? By emptying ourselves. By emptying ourselves of all personal pride, personal power, personal concern, personal desire to prove ourselves right so that we may be filled with the Holy Spirit, with confidence in Jesus Christ. We must place our complete confidence in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot speak confidently if we do not have complete confidence in the truth of the gospel. Peter could speak confidently because he was completely confident in the truth of the gospel. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now that statement, the truth of that statement is still true today. And we need to be completely confident in it. In our culture of religious relativism, in which transcendent eternal truth is not tolerated, in which people suppose that every and any religious belief is equally, transcendently, eternally true, in which people are lost in spiritual darkness without the saving light of Jesus Christ, we need to say it confidently, not angrily, not arrogantly, not combatively, not condescendingly. We need to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of our friends and neighbors with calm, controlled confidence in Christ. The power of the gospel to bring people to Jesus comes from the Holy Spirit, not from us. Now, let's connect some dots for further application. The apostles had healed a man who had been lame from birth. He was more than 40 years old, never walked a day in his life, condemned to a life of begging. They took no credit for it themselves. Instead, they pointed the people to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And for this, they were arrested. When questioned about this, Peter said, if we are being examined, interrogated today, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, in other words, if, if we're in trouble for doing something good for a poor beggar, you know, that's exactly the same way these Jewish leaders had reacted 
to Jesus' miracles of healing. You remember, Jesus would heal someone, and then the Jewish authorities would get all agitated about it and, and try to twist it and make Jesus look bad. Happened over and over and over again, right? It still happens. One year ago, Franklin Graham's ministry, Samaritan's Purse, set up a field hospital in New York City's Central Park to treat COVID-19 patients in partnership with Mount Sinai Hospital. The response? Outrage. Controversy. Demands from the LGBTQ plus leadership that Samaritan's Purse be banned from treating COVID-19 patients. Because Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization which adheres to and upholds Christian moral standards regarding sexuality. In other words, Jesus Christ is the authority on human sexuality and they would have nothing of it. They were unwelcome because they sought to do good deeds in the name of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. They were maligned because they pledge allegiance to a higher authority, the name of the one in whom alone is true and eternal healing body and soul, salvation from sin, Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan recounted the various ways in which the state of California repeatedly attempted unconstitutionally to shut down the life of Grace Community Church, of which John MacArthur is the pastor. And, and there were, believe it or not, it really was hard to believe, similar cases even in the state of Mississippi. But who knows what's ahead? If the Equality Act passes and corporate America continues to promote the sexual confusion revolution, things might get really interesting. Christian schools might become targets of political persecution. The public reading and teaching of Scripture and the preaching of the gospel could be categorized as hate speech. I'm not trying to be an alarmist or, 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 or overly sensationalize our situation. But the fact is, we just don't know. But we do know how the apostles responded. And we do know that Jesus Christ is our authority and His Word written for us in Scripture. And when the Jewish authorities charged Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, Peter replied, well... Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see, it's a question of authority. Peter's point was that it was a matter of obeying God or obeying men. 
It's a question of authority. And it's a question of loyalty. And again, it goes back to verse 12. It all ties right back in to the summary statement of the gospel in verse 12. Brothers and sisters, if you are ever forced, if you're ever forced to choose between God and men, why would you choose to obey anyone who cannot save you eternally, cannot reconcile you to the almighty, holy creator, cannot give you eternal life? If you are forced to choose between God and men, why would you obey anyone who had neither died on the cross for your sins nor been raised from the dead for your eternal life? We must obey God rather than men. We must resolve and be resolute to choose Jesus Christ, to obey Jesus Christ boldly and confidently. Choose Jesus Christ boldly and confidently over all the powers of this world. Because for your sake, Christ Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name, come on, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. And therefore, let us be sure and let us firmly take our stand upon this truth that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for so great a salvation, for so great a Savior, for so great a work of wonder as Jesus Christ crucified and risen seated at your right hand and coming again in glory. Grant us grace to believe and so to live to the honor and glory of your holy name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not Yeah.